always green around the other side. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Thank you so much for being here. What a beautiful Saturday morning, the first Saturday of the month of May. Guys, it's flying by. Hey, it's Ashley Frasca. You have found Green and Growing right here on your radio dial, 95.5 WSB. I am thrilled to have a full show for you today. Of course, this is a great time of year. So many things going on. And a friend of mine, she's been on the show before, but it's been a little bit, so I am pleased to have Becky Griffin back, the UGA Extension Community and School Garden Coordinator. Good morning, Becky. Good morning, Ashley. It's exciting to be here on such a beautiful Saturday. The spring has sprung. And so many people listening to the show right now are perking up. They're like, I know Becky. I know Becky. I didn't know she was <laughs> going to be on the show, so I'm really excited for that. And hey, I have a message for you. Uh-oh. Congratulations <laughs> on the 2020 Service Award from, what was it, Monarchs Across Georgia? Oh, my, yes. yes. Oh, and I'm, I feel humbled and honored. So, uh, yep, the certificate's on my desk, and I'm waiting for a frame. So thank you very much for bringing that up. It is quite the honor. That's incredible. And I think, I don't know if it's just because I've started paying a lot more attention, you know, since I've taken over the show in the last year, year and few months, but so many great organizations like that pointing out things that people are doing that are strong and, you know, their fields of passion and their fields of interest and things like that, but really bringing awareness, all of you working together, bringing awareness about pollinators and things like that to people that otherwise may not have ever given it a second thought. Well, I think you hit upon it. It's um, being partners and collaborators and working together for our common mission. And it's thrilling. It's fun to work with others and see their particular viewpoint and why this is an important issue and, and the work that they're doing that may be just a little bit different, that we can work together and magnify all of our efforts. So it's a great time to be in pollinator health amazing programs and projects like the Georgia Pollinator Census, which Becky, of course, we'll, we'll get into, and the Million Pollinator Garden Challenge. How are you figuring programs like that? How are they working as far as bringing awareness to pollinators? And speak about some of the benefits of like these group efforts you know, that folks can follow online. I think that what you mentioned is the, my favorite part of the Great Georgia Pollinator Census, and it is bringing awareness. And how I came up with the census was I was visiting community and school gardens across the state, and I would meet amazing gardeners who knew a lot about maybe soil health and right plant, right place, but they just didn't have a background in entomology, and they didn't really understand how pollinators and other beneficial insects benefit all of us. So by having this program and the the other programs you mentioned, the Million Garden Challenge, the Connect to Protect program, um, the Monarchs Across Georgia program, bringing awareness means people are going to be making decisions about what they plant and how they manage their landscape, maybe a little differently, maybe a little in, more insect friendly. It means that school kids who have pollinator gardens at their school and maybe participate in the census or journey north looking for monarchs are going to grow up with a background in entomology, a background in knowing about these pollinators. And so they'll be making decisions and maybe not just about their own landscape, but maybe policy decisions as well. And is that on the rise too, Becky, or is that something that's always kind of been around? I can't remember back to my childhood and elementary school, but the fact that you're so involved in the community and school gardens, is it very common now for, you know, 
primary schools to start doing those gardens for more hands-on stuff with the kids? I think so. Um, My daughter is 28, and I actually started a school garden in her school, I guess, what, 23 years ago? Oh, goodness. Um, But at that time, a school garden just meant a nice place for the teacher to bring students out, maybe as a reward or to do a story time. And now these school gardens are are STEM gardens. They're teaching technology and engineering out there. They're teaching history through the garden. It's definitely a hands-on experience. And I think it's a great swing of the pendulum, you know, getting the kids outside and touching things and smelling things instead of looking on a computer or, or just seeing them in a book. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. And talk about that. Talk about what's been keeping you busy, because I know we're nearing the end of the school year. But how has this spring been for you as far as interacting with schools and a lot of them, you know, being back in person? Well, it has been an interesting uh, year. As we all know, we all have teacher friends and we know it has been one huge challenge. And so my job working with the schools is not didn't want to add to the burden. You know, if they did not have time for a school garden this year because they're surviving, I'm fine with that. I will see you later. Mm -hmm. Um, We've done a lot of virtual. um, I've done some Zoom in the classroom meetings where the kids have wanted to ask me questions and they would give me a little tour of their garden. And that those are always fun. And as you mentioned, some schools are in session. I was this being. Recently, I was visiting a school doing a seed saving event, and we were in person, so with the social distancing and masks, so it was a little bit challenging, but it it was good to get back in the school. A seed saving event, that's really neat. Mm-hmm. So did you show them how to get the seeds and then how to properly store them? Right. So Aww. this particular one was on milkweed, okay. and, you know, milkweed is a big monarch plant and a nectar plant for bees and other insects as well, and it has some requirements that they oftentimes don't tell you on the package. They have to, those seeds need to be cold stratified. So the lesson was on what is cold stratification and how do we do that? Tell us really quickly, because I don't know that okay, I fully sure. have an understanding of it. <laughs> Okay, well, in nature, if you um, can think about what a milkweed seed looks like, it has some fluff on the top, which means it's wind blown everywhere. And so your seed pod bursts and your seeds are wind blown and they find a nice spot in the fall. And then we have winter, which is cold and wet in Georgia. So those seeds are primed for germination about this time, about May. Well, if you save seeds or you bought seed packets, they are not had this treatment. Mm -hmm. So we have to put them in something like a neutral medium like sand with a little bit of moisture and then store them in the refrigerator for about six weeks. And then that mimics what happens to them in nature. And your germination rates are so much better than if you just bought the seed pack off the wall and put them in the ground. So a little bit of moisture is okay because with some things you're kind of led to believe like keep it dry. Right. And it's a fine balance. If you put them in soaking water then they're going to, you could have rot. Um, But the sand seems to be a great medium because you can have some moisture. And so those seeds are not dried out, but there's not too much that you have any kind of rot or anything. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for bringing me up to speed on that. That's cool. Sure. All right. Speaking with Becky Griffin with the University of Georgia Extension Office, and you do so much work around the state of Georgia, Becky, but here, here we are talking about kids and kids in the classroom. So parents are maybe in a little bit of panic mode, like, oh, I only got a few more weeks and the kids are out of school. So why don't you and I talk about, we have a couple of minutes, 
ideas for getting the kids involved outdoors this time of year and going into the summer? Do you have any ideas or projects or something cool that they could, uh, you know, be directed to outside? First thing I would think about is a small vegetable garden. And I don't mean that you have to plow up your yard. I mean a four-by-four box that you can just put some good compost in and sit down as a family and say, okay, what do you like to eat? What are your favorite things in the summer? Do you love those delicious tomatoes, making some homemade marinara sauce or some jalapenos for some salsa? And then work with the children in growing these. And what we found in schools and what you find as a parent is if they're involved in growing it, then they can be involved in fixing it. And the chances that they're going to eat these wonderful vegetables are much higher. And we all know fresh is taste better. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting it from your own garden, it's going to be delicious. That sense of pride, too. I mean, uh, a couple of months back, I finally had my broccoli, you know, come ready. And it was just a florette or two. I didn't really get large crowns. But even just that one little bite of broccoli tasted better knowing that I grew it. Of course. Oh, and I'm, I'm sure you, you served that with pride, and, and it was so delicious. And, yeah, you're right. There is a sense of pride. Another great activity that I've been working a lot with some master gardener groups on are fairy gardens. Oh. Now, these are gardens based on some of the artwork that was done, I think, around the 30s. And the artist's name was Cicely Mary Barker. And she drew these beautiful fairies and related them to flowers based on old English folklore. Hmm. And it is very easy to get a hold of one of those books and look at what she drew, get some of those plants, and with your family create a fairy garden. That's definitely something really fun. Great ideas, Becky. Thank you so much. And I'll definitely share some of those things on the Green and Growing Facebook page when the show is over today. Green and Growing WSB is all you search. Um, Well, when we come back, I do want to talk about preparing for the Georgia Pollinator Census. That's coming up sooner than you think. And then also questions about establishing and planting a pollinator garden. Becky may have a couple of suggestions for us there. So we're going to take a break really quickly, check traffic and weather, and we'll be back. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. update on the weekend weather sponsored by Finley Roofing. Hey, we're back on Green and Growing and I am with Becky Griffin from the University of Georgia Extension Service. And Becky, your big project coming up in August. Mark the calendar, August 20th and 21st. It's the Georgia Pollinator Census and we can all participate and be a part of that. Why in August? Well, that's a really great question. And the people from Tifton, I get notes every year. What in the world are you doing to us? (laughs) It's hot down here to be out counting insects. Well, we had to have a time of the year where something was blooming from the mountains to the sea. And up in Blairsville, where I live, some some springs are better than others for getting the insects going and getting the plants up and and having some activity. We also wanted to have it at a time when schools could participate. And in the springtime, we've got spring break. We have testing that the teachers have to navigate, and we don't want to add to their burdens. So August was a time that um, something would be blooming, teachers could participate, and we avoided hurricane season. On one of our pilot 
years, a hurricane came uh. through during counting time and disrupted counts and actually took out a couple pollinator gardens. So um, that's how August was chosen. It, there was a method to the madness. It sounds good. And I will definitely, if you don't mind, have you back in just a couple of months, maybe, you know, the, the day, the, well, it'll be the second day of, and we'll kind of talk about it and get folks geared up and prepared to do it that Saturday as they listen. Um, but Perfect. let's talk about now is a decent time still to be thinking about a pollinator garden, what mm-hmm. plants to buy. Um, you know, I was asking you off the air about hummingbirds, and they're just so active this time of year. We love keeping the hummingbird feeders up, and they're attracted to tubular flowers, bright colors, but thinking more insects, especially, you know, that's what we're counting with the Georgia Pollinator Census. But give us some plant recommendations, Becky, some of your favorites. My very favorite pollinator plant of all time that blooms all across the state is mountain mint. And it is an unassuming flower. Uh, It spreads pretty well being a mint. It's native, but it provides a nectar source that is incredible. And if you plant it, you will see more insects than you can count. Bees of all different sizes, wasps, butterflies, uh, just like any kind of insect is attracted to that plant. So look for those. Um, For August, you may even be thinking about goldenrod or asters, some of our early fall plants that are really great attractors. If you like some annuals, some seeds, maybe think about zinnia or tithonia, which is Mexican sunflower. And those two are wonderful because they will bloom through frost, which means not only are you going to be a great participant for the census, but you'll have something when the monarchs are doing their migration. All right, Becky, if you don't mind, give us the website for the census just so folks can kind of start to get their feet wet and check it out. Sure. It's ggapc.org. Stands for Great Georgia Pollinator Census. We have events listed on things coming up in your area. We have everything you need to learn about counting. You don't have to be an entomologist. You just have to be an interested citizen who wants to spend a little bit of time learning the difference between a bumblebee and a carpenter bee or (laughs) a honeybee or a small bee. Just simple things. Yes, that is so important because, I mean, as as annoying as the carpenter bees are, you don't want to kill (laughs) them, but you certainly want to know the difference, right, to keep everybody happy and healthy in your landscape and your environment. Well, Becky, it's always such a fun topic and such a good conversation with you, and I look forward to bringing you back as we approach the census. Well, thank you so much, Ashley. It's always a joy to talk to you, and we love your show. All right. Have a good Saturday. We'll be right back. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. A little secret for you coming back on a Saturday morning. Hey, it's Ashley Frasca. It's green and growing. You know where you are on 95.5 WSB. I am away today. So what I started doing in the first year of the show that I really haven't done this winter and this spring so far is Celebrity Gardener. Well, this was one of my favorites from not too long ago. I want you to listen to my conversation with Gardner, and just happens to be president of Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy. Good morning, Miss Ashley, and great being with you. I wake up to WSB many mornings, and certainly over the years with the gardening show with the infamous Walter Reeves, it was just uh, always just a great voice to wake up to, and now 
uh, to have you standing in. You've got some big shoes to fill, but from my experience, you're up for the challenge, so go get them. Thank you. I have learned a lot. I have met some awesome people along the way. And, and Dan, like I told you, some of Walter's friends have become my friends. And those people have, those experts have just meant a great deal to me and being patient and kind of teaching me what they know. So I'm going to pick your brain a little bit today, if that's okay. I've heard you're a gardener. Well, the pickings may be very <laughs> slim. So <laughs> I do love gardening. And my dad was the guy that developed this little chicken sandwich that we called Chick-fil-A. <laughs> he wasn't the gardener, but we spent a lot of time down, uh, grew up on a farm down in South Clayton County. But uh, my grandmother had banana plant. When I was just a child, she would show me how to water these banana plants. And I'd stick my little finger over the end of that water hose and make the water spray out. And I'm talking about just a just a little toddler. And these banana trees, uh, I thought if I could wet the leaves, it'd make them shiny. Then I had watered the plant. But she said, no, honey, you've got to, you know, they get some moisture through the leaves, but they get they drink it from the roots. You got to water around the the base. So as I recall, as a really, really young child, that was my first experience and, uh, you know, learning something about horticulture from my grandmother. So it's kind of like honey. I got 25 hives of honey that I'm at harvest. And, you know, if I, if I sold the honey for what it actually cost me for the amount of hives I've had to replace oh, yeah. and colonies I've had to replace, it'd be $25 a jar. So <laughs> I, I I came in good faith to that. So it's a more of a labor of love and just just sharing uh, an interest. Bees and water, so many different components, you know, of gardening. You know, it's a whole ecosystem, of course. And you can build these little rooms. And as you as we grow in our gardening experience, we we expand the rooms of these this house, so to speak. And they have these pollinators, the bees. They're essential to fruit production, as we know. Uh, and to me, they just they just continue to beautify, you know, any gardening operation. And particularly for for parents with young children, mm-hmm. to explain, you know, how a hive operates, how the how the queen operates, and the workers and the drones and so forth. It's just an amplification of understanding how God des- designed our remarkable universe, and He gave us enough knowledge and insight to be amazed at the mystery of his divine creativity. It's hard to slow down and stop and really become one with nature like a lot of us maybe found ourselves doing in the last year, Dan, because of this pandemic. That led a lot of folks to gardening for the first time, which to me was super exciting. And I and I stepped into this show at just the right time to kind of give people that boost of encouragement. You know, hey, I'm a new gardener too. All of us at some point are doing something new but there's always something to learn, like you said, from the time you were a toddler, even to now, you're still learning about gardening. It's an essential part for the human experience to be engaged with nature. I've been very engaged in urban planning here in the last 10, 15 years because of the of our my day job at Chick-fil-A. Retail follows a lot of uh, you know, changes in society, and there's a real move toward urban downtown living. And I've been fascinated. Even there, there are metrics of relationships between the density of people and concrete asphalt relative to green space. And if you don't keep those in proportion, even from an economic standpoint, it stymies the residential development. You know, in our homes, if we can have a nice little backyard, no matter how big or small that it may be, uh, we 
it's part of our way God, I think, you know, made us was to enjoy the serenity and the peacefulness and the calm of a green space. Water is an essential part as well. I, my interest in horticulture and gardening and so on is primarily from a landscape design standpoint. Mm. Uh, some people like, you know, Vince Dooley, he's real into the scientific names of plants. Uh, we all can have our specialty in gardening that we really want to zero in on and get really deep in a particular segment of it. And as I said, as we grow in our gardening experience, we continue to build a ever-widening inventory of, uh, of, of the knowledge that we have and how all this works together to enrich our lives. I'm speaking with the CEO of Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy, a local here to the Atlanta area. But I was listening to a podcast out of London uh, just the other day, and they were trying to tell you know British gardeners who lived closer to the city, I guess just like Atlanta, there's still plants that can thrive in that city environment because typically, like you said, there's there's kind of that heat shield or whatever you want to call it where temperatures are generally 5 to 10 degrees warmer in the city. So they can, you know, have avocado plants and things like that in downtown London that you probably couldn't have out in the countryside. And just that, that different kind of effect of the humidity and the air and stuff in the cities kind of lends itself a little differently than to what folks can, you know, grow in the in the outskirts of town. I did a tour of inner city gardens and green space. We jumped on a plane. We went to New York, Chicago, Dallas, the Clyde Warren Park there in downtown, uh, Seattle, Portland, looking at urban green space and the importance of, of that space, how to manage it, how to fund it, how to design it. And it was quite fascinating to see how you know cities around the world recognize the importance of garden space all over Asia. Uh, where people, you know, celebrate every morning. They start their morning outside in right. a garden area, you know, doing exercising. So it's a wonderful thing. How nice is that? All right. Well, so, Dan, I've decided I have the contact information for my travel agent right here. I'm just going to bum around with you. And I'm going to travel inner city gardens and worldly gardens with you because that will help me learn so I can write it off as an expense. Well, we're all we're all <laughs> on a learning curve. I, I've learned a lot of it even at Chick-fil-A, our corporate campus. We have a beautiful 75 acres just at the intersection of 285 and 95 and um, it's just a, a, a it's wonderful a lot of indolation the topography is very has a lot of character to it we have a lot of outcroppings of big rocks have uh, some beautiful elm trees a lot of beech trees mm-hmm. that are there that hang on to their leaves all during the winter so we have to see these brown leaves they pop up as soon as the springtime comes and we've designed this as kind of the ultimate corporate campus. We have outdoor office space, Ashley, uh, so you can have pods. You can actually go on our Outlook contact deal and set up a meeting. Wow. We have Wi-Fi outside. We have recharging stations outside. We have these wonderful little Adirondack chairs sitting areas so you can sit outside and just conduct business there. And again, it just extends the quality of the of the living space. So we're not talking about just towns, we're not talking about just homes, but even corporate campuses now are recognizing the importance of green space and how it contributes to the overall well-being of people. I agree, Mr. Kathy, and I bet you've done your research and you know your homework about studies, about employee morale, you know, boosting their work productivity and all of that when things like that are offered and even Companies that may be listening that think, well, I, I can't afford that. We don't have the money for that. Houseplants, just some kind of incorporation of the outdoors in our office spaces can make a world of difference for your employees, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I, I really enjoy on my fruit side of things. Actually, I'm into, of course, peaches and plums mm-hmm. and apples and pears and uh, blueberries and blackberries and strawberries. So that's my basic palette of fruit production. Speaking with Dan Cathy, CEO of Chick-fil-A, you know, Georgia's lucky enough to be the only state. We've got the Dwarf Houses here. We've got Truett's Grill locations. We've got Truett's Chick-fil-A locations here. And there's palm trees, which I just absolutely adore, appropriately enough, outside of Truett's Luau there in Fayetteville. Um, Landscaping just seems to be such a big part of the outside environment of you all's restaurants. How did you come to that conclusion? Uh, A a lot of different directions, all the things you just mentioned, but it's also interwoven into a lot of the zoning requirements now, as you know, to provide shade and all this asphalt retail areas that we have. There's certain requirements in terms of the caliber of trees that have to be planted in uh, residential developments or retail developments all across the country. And they're woven in all of all of the zoning. So for us to get a occupancy permit, you know, we have to complete our landscaping plan, beautifully landscaped and manicured gardens and homes and residential and retail. Subliminally, it has a very calming, positive effect for us. So, you know, those that wisely invest in landscaping, it creates value. I often tell young homeowners that, you know, you you buy, you know, ten dollar plant at Pike's Nursery and put it in your yard, and it's going to appreciate the value of your property. Dan Cathy of Chick-fil-A going to stick around with me after the break. I have a quiz for him, and it's not quite a garden quiz, or is it? Eh, You decide. We'll be right back on Green and Growing on WSB. My celebrity gardener, Dan Cathy, a year in the making, and I'm so excited. CEO of Chick-fil-A, proudly based right here in Atlanta, Georgia. Before we get to this garden quiz that I have for you, Dan, back in the beginnings of the Chick-fil-A Corporation, when there was just one, two restaurants, were there ever homegrown ingredients, whether it was some kind of herb or spice or even chickens from the farm that were used in the restaurant, or was all that always sourced out from the beginning? Well, my dad had this little white Chevrolet station wagon, and he would drive by this, the state farmer's market in Forest Park. And in the summertime, actually, he would pick up peaches that were really getting really, really super soft. He'd bring them up there. We'd have Zelma Calhoun and her sister Annie, and they would peel off these peaches and put them in a, a wonderful little pie shell, sprinkle some sugar on top, and some whipped cream. And those fresh peach pies would fly off the shelf. You know, Dad loved to be able to source things locally when he could. So we'll start with that. All right. Time starts now. Mr. Kathy, number one, who doesn't like Chick-fil-A milkshakes that we were just talking about? Sometimes the milkshakes are made green by this garden herb. Uh, It could be mint. Ding, ding, ding. That's it. Number two, Chick-fil-A has amazing waffle fries, which, of course, are made fresh from potatoes. Name one type of potato for me. Idaho russet potatoes. There you go. And have you have you grown those, or do we leave that to Idaho? I do a uh, more of a ornamental potato. I have a rock wall in, in front of my house, and I put out just four or five. But you put out this little uh, potato plant, and it has this wonderful light green. It's a great little accent plant. Hmm. Georgia is perennially the number one state in the nation for the production of this 
their oil is used to beautifully brown those Chick-fil-A nuggets. Peanut oil. Yes. Peanut oil, as you may know, is one of the most expensive oils that you can use. Oh, yeah. It doesn't have a greasy aftertaste. Even those with peanut allergies, we use refined peanut oil. Actually, we always tell our customers to they have a, an allergy issue with, with peanuts to check with their doctor. But most people, even with allergens, can still enjoy the great taste of Chick-fil-A because it's refined peanut oil. All right. The fourth question, a key ingredient in chicken tortilla soup is black beans. Beans grow in a sheath called a blank. Pod. Yes. All right. Bonus question. Are beans <laughs> a summer crop or a winter crop? Uh, you, you may stop me on this. I think that's a winter crop. One more for you, Dan. Name three of the fruits featured in the fruit cup and tell me which you've had the most success in growing. Mandarin oranges. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't typically grow those in Georgia. Obviously, blueberries. Yep. We do. We've already mentioned that. Uh, apples. We produce a, a lot of apples in Georgia, particularly in the northern part of the state. And strawberries. For strawberries are a great or- ornamental plant. They're not just fruit production. But because they're evergreen and then they have little variations in their color throughout the year, I use it as a ground cover plant. Mm-hmm. And, and the more ground cover I use, the less bark and mulch and so forth that I have. I'm a big proponent of good ground covers. I, I use a lot of dwarf mondo in my garden around stepping stones. It also likes to grow in a lot of bark soil with a lot of ammonium nitrate on it. Well, Dan, I, I so appreciate your time. You are extremely inspiring and knowledgeable and just kind. Gets you pretty far in life. Thank you, Ms. Ashley. And uh, we so appreciate WSB. WSB has been a part of my entire life for all the obvious reasons. You do a great service to society. And as we say at Chick-fil-A, it's been my pleasure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.